This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It is daybreak on a Monday. We're already into the month of February in 2020. Crazy, right? February the 3rd. 2020 time for daybreak following a Super Bowl Sunday, a Super Bowl Sunday night in which the Kansas City Chiefs come back from 10 points down in the fourth quarter. Patrick Mahomes and that KC offense gets the job done. We'll talk about the Alabama ties to the Kansas City Chiefs. We'll talk about Alabama basketball. Tough one. On Saturday evening at Coleman Coliseum, the men's team falls to Arkansas after leading at the half. More bad news just in general from a personnel standpoint for Nate Oates' team. And we'll look ahead to this coming week and what's going on here in the next five or six days as it relates to Crimson Tide Athletics. Travis Ryer joined by Charlie Potter, as I typically am on Mondays. Have you recovered from that action in the fourth quarter down at Hard Rock Stadium, Charlie, between the Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. I have, but I, I thought that was a really entertaining Super Bowl um, just from an on-the-field product. I know, like, you know, you, you you watch the Super Bowl for the game, for the commercials, for the halftime show and everything, but I thought just from a game perspective, it was, it was entertaining, and it seemed like, you know, the, the 49ers and, and their kind of old school approach were going to um, get the job done. But you can't count out this uh, Kansas City Chiefs uh, team, especially with Patrick Mahomes and his big playmaking abilities. So I thought that the, the Chiefs defense came up with plays when they needed to. They were able to get pressure on Garoppolo and force him into mistakes. And um, yeah, it turned out to be a, a real barn burner there at the end. I think it was 21 unanswered points in the fourth quarter yeah. for, for Kansas City. So that offense is just lethal, and it, it's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, three straight possessions with touchdowns for the Chiefs there in the fourth quarter. And we're talking about third and long down 10 there in the fourth quarter. And you're thinking, boy, this is Bosa time. This is the Ford time. This is Armstead. This is Buckner. This is that front four. This is where they essentially close the deal with about eight or nine minutes left in the game with a two-score lead. And kind of reminded me of Eli Manning's heave to uh, David Tyree years ago uh, against the Patriots uh, in the, the one giant Super Bowl win over the Pats. And Mahomes just let it fly. And Tyree kills on the other end of it. And from that point forward, that was like the, the 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 fire starter for that Kansas City offense, and the Chiefs rolled from there. Um, you know, you know what the game kind of reminded me of, Charlie. Kind of reminded me of Alabama Georgia in the national championship game from a couple of years ago. Not with the dramatic finish, obviously, in overtime, but a game that we'll talk about a lot, probably more than we should, because for about three, three and a half quarters, it wasn't necessarily breakneck speed and excitement and all those things, but it had a hell of a finish, just like Georgia, Alabama in Atlanta a couple years ago. That's the kind of game it felt like to me. 
I can see that, yeah. I mean, that game was – I mean, having watched that game in the press box, there's there's times whenever I look back and still can't believe that game happened. Um, just with the, the way that two was able to come in the second half and, and lead Alabama to a win. Um, and I think that – you know, I'm not comparing players and saying two is a Patrick Mahomes, but they both have that ability to yep. – where they can make a big play at a moment's notice. And – uh, Patrick Mahomes did that. He made mistakes early, but he overcame those. And uh, the the big um, or the the speedy receivers that they have, and, and a weapon like Travis Kelsey, I mean, they can they can score at will, and they showed that in the fourth quarter. And so, yeah, I mean, I thought it was um, an exciting finish. You, you feel bad for a guy like Kyle Shanahan because he's been in this situation before as uh, assistant with the, the Falcons. <laughs> they had the notorious twenty eight to three lead and, and kind of pissed that one away too. So. Um, yeah, I think that the 49ers, though, they're, they have a, um, a front office that's um, in John Lynch and then with uh, Shanahan himself that they've built this team for success. They've built it with the defensive front seven, and they've got a, a good quarterback in Jimmy Garoppolo. I think if they can keep these guys together, they'll have another shot. But it's good to see a team like uh, Kansas City, a guy like Andy Reid, who's been in the league for so long, and a young star like Patrick Mahomes go out and get the MVP. It's, it's a lot of fun to watch. Did they get the MVP right in Patrick Mahomes Sunday night? Or do you think maybe Chris Jones, a defensive tackle, who was exceptionally hard to throw over, um, uh, as Jimmy Garoppolo found out on Sunday night, uh, had a couple of big plays, was able to get some pretty consistent pressure from his defensive tackle position. Uh, Damian Williams, the running back for Kansas City, had a huge game too. Did, I understand that this is the era we're in when it comes to star power and the quarterback position and all those things. Uh, but I, I'll say this for three and a half quarters, it certainly didn't look like it was going to be Patrick Mahomes. No, it didn't. Um, it doesn't shock me that he got the award. I mean, he scored three touchdowns, but he also had a couple of, um, at the time, costly turnovers. And, um, you know, I didn't really – feel one way or the other like you said it is any award now a major award like that is yeah. kind of quarterback driven so it doesn't shock me but um i think kind of the heroics in the fourth quarter kind of won it over yeah i think a guy like damian williams i think what he had 100 yards and a, and a rushing score um he was pretty instrumental in the the uh, receiving game too i think he caught a touchdown pass there so he would have probably been the guy i've given it to other than the mahomes just because the offense um really got going in the fourth quarter but that defense i mean we talked a lot about the the 49ers, 49ers defense going into the game, but um, you know it was the Chiefs that kind of made the big plays when they needed to uh, down the stretch, and I think some of those guys are deserving. But yeah, I mean, when you look at awards, whether it's the Heisman Trophy, um, any kind of game MVP that I'm not sure how the Super Bowl MVP is actually voted on. I know when we are in games like a national championship or a, a bowl game. Uh, semifinal we vote for the uh, most valuable player so if that's the case it, it doesn't shock me at all that the guy like Mahomes won it yeah Chris Jones that defensive tackle for the Kansas City Chiefs a Mississippi State product from Houston Mississippi and I remember Chris Jones from his Mississippi State years more so because it seemed like he never fulfilled the immense talent that he went to Starkville with. This was a guy, again, when you just looked at Chris Jones, and maybe this will be a path similar that perhaps Raekwon Davis will take. You know, a lot of the same similarities in terms of measurables. Raekwon's a Mississippi guy. Uh, depending on who you ask, Raekwon didn't exactly live up to it throughout his career at Alabama. 
Uh, Chris Jones goes in the second round of, of the draft in 2016, the 37th overall pick. That could be a similar spot for Raekwon Davis. Uh, there's some parallels that you could take away from those two guys uh, when you talk about pro potential. And, um, you know, and for Reggie Ragland, right? Good, good to see the former Alabama linebacker uh, get a uh, Super Bowl ring. Garrett Dieter, I guess, is a practice squad guy. Any other ties for Alabama to this Kansas City organization, Charlie? Uh, one of our users actually pointed out to me, I, I wasn't aware of this just because I didn't skim the entire front office, but Ramsey Robinson is actually uh, in player engagement for the Chiefs. So if they're going to give out uh, rings to everybody, he should get one. So that's another guy from Alabama with ties there. But yeah, I mean, as a guy that, that covered Reggie uh, when he was here, um, you know, he was one of the guys that uh, anytime he came up for an interview, you know he's going to have a smile on his face and he was going to cut up with you. He was, he was a lot of fun to cover both on and off the field. So it's always good to see a guy like uh, Uncle Reggie, as a lot of people call him, get a ring. And, um, you know, Gary Deere, I mean, he, he's doesn't, he doesn't play. He's on the practice squad. Uh, so I haven't really included him in a lot of headlines and stuff. But uh, he should get a ring, too, just for being a member and a guy that's really close to Patrick Mahomes. So those are the three most prevalent ones. Um you know, I know the, the 49ers didn't win, but uh, D'Amico Ryans is their inside linebackers coach. So if, if they had won the game, then then he would have been able yeah. to get a ring. But, uh, yeah, uh, a few ties there uh, for Alabama. I know it wasn't the most in the country, but you know, a guy like Reggie, he's seen his role. Um, I, it kind of decreased a little bit because they changed their defense up, but he's still a major contributor. He actually started uh, in the game on Sunday and got a couple tackles. So, Always good to see an Alabama guy like that get a get a Super Bowl ring. Yeah, the way the Niners play on offense, that pretty much ensured that that Reggie Ragland, more of a base option uh, linebacker, maybe some nickel, uh, but more rundown oriented uh, than than some of the other guys uh, that the Chiefs have at that position. Uh, with with San Francisco as much and some two tight end stuff, even some two backs. Uh, with Juszczyk, the fullback, to go along with the variety at the running back position that the the Niners employed. Uh, that meant that Reggie Ragland was going to have some opportunities on Sunday night. And again, good to see Reggie uh, add a world championship ring to go along with now a uh, national championship ring that he picked up at Alabama. I'll tell you this too, Charlie. You know, maybe for Reggie it doesn't mean as much. I'm I'm going to guess it still does. But this playoff share and this Super Bowl share that these players get financially for for making the playoffs, for moving throughout the playoffs, for winning a Super Bowl. I'm sure Reggie loves it, but guys like Garrick Dieter and Ramsey Robinson, typically, even if you're a non-active player or assistant coach, you also share into those uh, financial bonuses. So uh, good for those guys. Hopefully they get, uh, they get showered with some extra cash here as a result of the Chiefs' Super Bowl championship it is bol daybreak on a monday uh so charlie did you do anything special for the super bowl i mean we should have got on this right from the start was there a spread involved at casa de potter uh how did you consume the content that is the the super bowl uh spectacle i was actually really shocked that you didn't lead off with this it was pretty unconventional um when I got home from the game yesterday, 
um, my wife had made just a ton of sausage balls, but she was actually called into work. She's a nurse up in Birmingham. She works night shift and she was called into work. So, uh, she either took those with her or didn't tell me and just put them in the fridge. So we, we ate a bunch of those and, um, we actually went for a run today. Um, she also convinced me into signing up for a half marathon in March. So I'm having to, yeah, yeah, get up. Well, I'm feeling it right now, but to get up, to get off the couch and stuff, we, we went and ran uh, today and she definitely ran a lot farther than me. And I, I came home a little earlier uh, iced the knees and, uh, and waited on the, the Super Bowl to start. So it was, it was a strange Super Bowl Sunday to say the least at, uh, Casa de Potter, but, uh, we had a good time just sitting back and, and watching the game, watching the commercials. I really like the, uh, the Jeep commercial with Bill Murray and, and Groundhog Day. The, kudos to the person at Jeep that had enough foresight to, to look at the, the calendar, see where it falls and to, to put that one together. That one was great to me. Yeah, I like that one, too. That was a little bit later on in the broadcast, I think, unless they ran it multiple times and I missed it. I saw it later, uh, maybe in the fourth quarter or so. Um, It was great for Josh Jacobs to be featured by Kia. Uh, That was pretty cool. Um, I like the Rocket Mortgage ad early on. Uh, What's the guy's name? Jason Momoa? Something like that? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's the big actor with the big hair and whatever. I, I thought that was well done. How he comes home from a day, I guess, of work, and then he kind of disassembles himself and turns out looking like this feeble, balding individual and not this hulking sort of sex symbol that he is to the ladies, I'm sure. Uh, I like the Rocket Mortgage ad. I thought that was pretty well done. Uh, the Google ad with the widower, oh the elderly gentleman, you know kind of requesting the the voice recognition yeah that one hit the feels didn't it yeah that one Mm -hmm. i thought was really well done i don't know if that was the right sort of uh i don't know outlet medium for for that ad but it was it was i thought it was incredibly well done you know the commercials were fine we kept it simple man i mean it was just the three of us and um because we're nearing that empty nest type situation and we just uh, ordered in some chicken wings. Got some really good ones down the strip now. I don't know if you've been to Voodoo yet down there next to the uh, under what used to be Bento right there on the strip across from the uh, Druid City Music Hall right there. They've opened this Voodoo Wings and this is unsolicited. I've mentioned it even on my radio show. They have great wings, man. If you like wings, they are doing some really good stuff there. So we got some of those wings. Uh, we did some tater tots. Think any more American than tater tots. Um, we did some sort of cheese rotel dip because you got to do that for a Super Bowl. But yeah, we kept it pretty low key. You know, it was pretty low key and just kind of hung out and and watched the football. What about the halftime show? Where where did you kind of fall with that? I mean, I I thought it was entertaining. I was really shocked that that football didn't make an appearance, Mister Three Hundred Five, and <laughs> the game being in Miami. I, I'm sure that he was upset about that. I think oh, he was doing the disrespect. Yeah. I yeah. think he was doing some stuff before the game, like a concert, but still, like not to even make a cameo uh, was a shock. But I mean, you know, as a 28-year-old male, I mean, it was an entertaining halftime show with Shakira and, and yeah. Jennifer Lopez. I'm not going to lie about that. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about a couple of ladies into their 40s nearing or at 50, okay? And, and they can still bring it you know, as far as performers go. And so I give them credit for that. Not necessarily my thing, but I can appreciate the effort. 
you know? No, yeah, I thought that it wasn't was my there. favorite. It wasn't my favorite, but I, I had a good time watching it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I, I've, I've killed 20 minutes in worse ways. Trust me. <laughs> trust me when I tell you that. Just trust me on that. Um, you know, I thought even for an older boomer like myself, you know, if you're in Miami, you, you got to give at least a nod to Gloria Estefan in the Miami Sound Machine. OK, because she was kind of the original OG for all that back in the day. That didn't happen. That disappointed me a little bit. I thought there was a little disrespect, a little shade, unintended as it may have been, uh, that, that Gloria uh, wasn't uh, at least acknowledged during that halftime show. But, you know, that's the way it goes sometimes. You only got so much time. And speaking of so much time, uh, we're going to shift gears and talk about this Alabama men's basketball team, Charlie. And it's almost like there's been four or five different seasons for this team already. It's it's similar to what we talked about back in the fall with Alabama football, and in large part because of the same issue. Injuries, attrition, things like that. And it hits once again uh, at the LSU game in Baton Rouge, apparently early in that game too. And, and when you think back to it and you think about the fall that Herb Jones took, thanks in part at least, unintended, from his pal, Trendon Watford, when he went up for the lob there in the first half of that game last Wednesday night. Um, it, 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 man, this this injury situation, this limited roster situation, Charlie, uh, it's hard to project much of a ceiling for this team moving forward because it sort of it sort of played out that way in the game against Arkansas on on Saturday. Um This team played well in spots, but still, when you've got this many subtractions at this point, and guys you really have never had all season to begin with, uh, there's there's a breaking point, you know? Yeah, that was one thing that Nate Oates mentioned before even getting to the injuries is that um, he wasn't really um, happy with the defensive effort in the second half. And when you don't have Herbert Jones on the floor – um, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, Herb's a guy that fractured his left wrist in the LSU game. He was able to continue playing with that. And you know, he actually mentioned that injury uh, during interviews with just kind of an off-the-hand comment, just like it was a, a nagging injury. But uh, Herb actually had surgery on Saturday before the game. Uh, was it at Coleman Coliseum? And um, he's expected to miss about three weeks or so. It's a similar injury to what Dante Hall had last year. So, um, you know, you're already without um, your best defensive player. You already have the three players that are on the bench and have been all season long, and uh, Javon Quinterly and um, James Rojas and Jawan Gary. And then on top of that, uh, Beetle Bolden's been dealing with the a GI system issue where he can't keep food down and he has no energy. And so yeah. um, it, he was pretty much doubtful before this game. He didn't suit up. Uh, they're hopeful to have him back um, before Tuesday uh, against Tennessee. But you know, you're you're shorthanded and uh, it just you're you're playing with a seven man rotation and it just uh, it seemed like it caught up with Alabama in the second half. And you know, they're going to have to be playing without one of their leaders. I think that was something else that they were kind of lacking whenever. Things got tough in the second half against um, Arkansas. You know, they didn't have a guy like Herb to kind of huddle everybody up and uh, to tell them and to, to preach about defense. And like I said at the, the start of this, I mean, that was something that Nadez wasn't very happy with. So tough blow for, for Alabama. They were shorthanded uh, going into it, and they came up short against the Razorbacks. Yeah, a 15-2 to two run, I guess it was, by Arkansas about midway through the second half uh, really put Alabama – 
and chase mode down the stretch and the, the, the points off turnovers. And that's another area where you miss Herb. Not so much in terms of him being a guy who doesn't necessarily turn the ball over himself, but at least in transition defense, he's your leader in charge takes. So he can shut down some lanes. He's willing to step in front of people and, and do some of that stuff that can uh, unfortunately lead to some injury situations. Uh, but Arkansas outscores Alabama in points off turnovers, 27 to 13. Uh, Shackelford, I thought, was was really good, though, Charlie. I mean, he stepped forward. Um, the, the problem is he went for 28, which was eight more than Petty and Kyra had combined in the game. And then you combine the 11 turnovers that Kyra and Petty had together. But it's not to throw anyone under the bus because, um, again, when you continue to lose pieces like this, and as you alluded to, so many different ways that Herb can help you cover for never having had James Rojas this season or, you know, uh, being able to guard one through five. Uh, and, and, and what you just talked about, I, I, I'm not around the team every day as much as you are, for sure. But the way that Oates spoke about Herb in terms of intangibles, I, I'm not necessarily surprised because if a guy plays the way he plays, then he probably elicits that kind of respect from his teammates. But typically you associate that more with, say, a point guard or maybe another veteran player. You know what I mean? Yeah, and uh, I think that's just kind of who Herb is, though. I mean, he's a guy that Oates trusts enough to to handle the ball a lot, and you know, that, I think that the Herb's makes mis- Herb makes mistakes at times, and um, you know, he can be turnover prone a little bit too. But he's just he just has a really high basketball IQ, and I think he's the guy that he's been a captain um, for at least two years now that I know. He's he's the guy that goes out of the, uh, before the game and talks to the officials every time. He's a guy that's well-respected within that locker room. And, um, you know, Oates made sure to say, you know, when he was talking about uh, Herb and the impact that that loss had was that when Herb speaks, everybody listens. And whenever he says, you know, we got to get better on defense, everybody puts in a collective effort and tries to do better on defense. And, um, you know, that did put a lot of strain on guys. I know Kyra played 40 minutes. I think Petty was just three shy of that. And, um, you know, they just weren't able to get it done. That was something Arkansas um, you know, went into the game trying to do is to uh, eliminate them uh, the best way they could. And I think um, I'm trying to remember the quote right off the top of my head, but uh, Eric Musselman, the head coach of Arkansas, said they were not going to let those two guys hurt them in this game. And you mentioned how they combined for 20 points and 11 turnovers. They were also, I think, one of 10 combined from three. And that can't happen for guys like Petty and Kyra. Uh, Jaden right. Shackleford was, was great in this game. Uh, I think he's starting to progress more and more as the season goes on, and I think he's getting a little bit better on the defensive end too, and that's somewhere where uh, Nato's really gets on him. But you got to have guys like Kyra and Petty step up when a guy like Herb goes down, not only just from an on-the-court production standpoint, but when you're mentioning after the game that you're lacking leadership, and that's something that kind of carried over from the, the LSU game and the practices beforehand, those guys have to step up both on and off the court. So, I mean, they're going to be without Herb for it looks like the next three weeks or so. And you're going to have to get uh, better effort on and off the court from guys like Petty and Kyra Lewis. And it's not like Arkansas was in 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 full health either. Isaiah Joe obviously wasn't himself with that leg or knee issue that he's dealing with. And he only played 21 minutes. He played 21 minutes, but he was 0 of 3 uh, from the field. And uh, but I'll tell you what, Mason Jones. 
mm-hmm. was every bit as billed with 30 points. Uh, and Jimmy Witt Jr. Uh, going for 26. I mean, when you look at Arkansas scoring in the game, Charlie, they only got points, the Razorbacks did, from five different players. But two of those guys combined for 56. Uh, so that, that can help you get it done. And, um, you know, for Alabama, it, it's, it's probably going to be even more the case. Tennessee coming in here on Tuesday night. Uh, the emphasis and the importance in terms of efficiency from three-point range. Uh, when they get opportunities from the free throw line, they have to be very good. They have to take care of the basketball. And really from three on Saturday, they were eight of 31. That's a little under 26% for the game. 16 of 24 from the free throw line, that's 67%. And 17 more turnovers, and we talked about the points off turnovers. So they really didn't check any of those boxes and still only lost by four points under undermanned. Yeah, I mean, I think that you can't really um, knock this team on its effort. I think the LSU yeah. game maybe in the first half you can, but you can tell that NATO's has them playing with effort. But you mentioned uh, Witt and Mason Jones, the, the way that they played and how many points they combined for. I mean, what happens when Herb Jones is playing in this game? I mean, yeah. he's a guy that's probably going to match up on them more often than a guy like Jalen Forbes or uh, Javian Davis. And he's probably going to take away a lot of those points. And Alabama only lost by four in this instance. So, I mean, Alabama um, is a team that we this, there's a reason we've been talking about them as a potential NCAA tournament team, and I think this does affect that. Um, but there's still there's still a chance they have prime examples uh, or prime opportunities right here in front of them with Tennessee being um, you know the next one and the, uh, a good opportunity for them. But uh, they're going to have to have a guy step up in in other areas other than effort. They're going to need, like I said, Kyra Lewis and and John Petty to to be consistent um, as. Her, and leaders, and they're going to need Jaden Shackelford to continue this. They're going to need Beetle Bolden whenever he comes back from this uh, GI issue. Uh, They're going to need him to stay out of foul trouble because he is a guy that can uh, pick up some of those blue-collar points that that Herb Jones is leaving off the floor. He can step in front of the guys and take charges and get some of those um, stops in transition defense. So they're going to need some guys to step up. It's it's not really from an effort standpoint. I think that's there, and that's something we haven't really questioned much this season. It's just – Guys need to be more consistent, and they need to be, um, you know, more cognizant of the issues that have been kind of creeping up from the start of the season again. Mason Jones went for 30 for Arkansas Saturday, and that's with going six of 13 from the free throw line. So he he, he left a few points out there himself in Arkansas's 82-78 win over the Crimson Tide. We talked a little bit about Tennessee coming in here. Tennessee losers of three straight. They're reeling. The volunteers are in their own right. Um, so I, you look at sort of some fringe at this point, NCAA tournament hopes, Alabama, probably when you look at metrics and net and Ken Palm and those things still in a lot better position than even Tennessee is right now. Uh, but I think desperation at this point, it, Early February, is, is desperation a fair adjective to describe for teams like these two that we're going to see at Coleman Coliseum Tuesday night? I think it's fair. Uh, I think with Alabama, though, I mean, you look at what happened before the season, you look at what happened now with, with Herb Jones and everything they've dealt with in between. I mean, they've just been, you know, snake bitten before uh, tip, the first game tipped off. And mm-hmm. it was going to be tough. It's a, it's a tough hill to climb without three guys. And you're not playing a guy like Raymond Hawkins, and you played with seven men the other night, and that's something and Hawkins that Hawkins has the flu, right? 
he has the flu, but I mean, he's a guy that also hasn't played a, right. a meaningful minute all season long. Uh, you, you look at whenever NATO's mentioned scholarship players or healthy scholarship players, um, Raymond Hawkins is never in that discussion. So it's just it's a situation where I think that with everything that they've been dealt, um, the NCAA tournament is going to be uh, a surprise. I think just because all this is is hard to overcome. I think they've been in the conversation. They still are. I mean, if they can if they can right the ship and and stay afloat with games against Tennessee, Georgia, if they can get a win. Um, in those next two games against one of Auburn or LSU, that'll do wonders for this team, sure. especially without a guy like Herbert Jones. But it's going to be tough. Um, you know, we we saw what um, you know this team looks like defensively without Herb, and uh, I think it'll help having him on the bench, but he can't be on the floor. So uh, I think Tennessee is maybe a must-win. Uh, desperation, I think, is a way to go about that. But it's just it's just so tough with the hand that they were dealt before the year even started. Uh, to be kind of thinking that way, I think. Uh, I, I do think the NCAA tournament is attainable, but it's going to be really tough now with, with tacking on another injury to go along with the, what they've already been dealing with. Yeah, the league is pretty nutty right now. Yeah. Um, I mean, you kind of expected to see the teams at the top that you're seeing. LSU, Kentucky, Auburn with a huge win Saturday evening over Kentucky. Uh, down on the plains, but man, when you get to sort of that, I don't know, what are you, what are you looking at right now? Mississippi state to me looks clearly like the fourth best team in the league, but I mean, you've still got Florida and South Carolina right there with Mississippi state at five and three, Arkansas and Alabama, both now four and four in the league, Tennessee coming in here at four and four, A&M at four and four. It, it you know, if this is a five bit league, ultimately, Charlie, um, those fourth and fifth bids, I still think you're looking at Mississippi State, Florida, Alabama, Arkansas, maybe more so in that mix than, say, a South Carolina or a Tennessee or an A&M. Yeah, I agree with that. And it, the top three teams are it's, – it's pretty clear who they are. I mean, things could change between now and the SEC tournament and even in the, the tournament up in Nashville. But I think Mississippi State's playing a lot better. They have a lot of talent on that roster. I think Reggie Perry is one of the best players in the league. Um, we've seen what Florida's capable of doing, even though they've gone through kind of uh, dry spells or spurts. But um, I think this Arkansas team is talented. And then if, if Alabama can, like I said, if they can stay afloat uh, throughout this kind of rehab process for Herbert Jones and, and not uh, you know, rack up any more injuries, uh, then I think they can be in that conversation. But uh, it, it's going to be it's going to be tough. I mean, this wasn't um, ideal for Alabama by any means. And mm-hmm. uh, we're just going to have to see how they, they handle it. They need to bounce back and to play better, um, and we'll see what they can do without one of their best players on the defensive end. And, and a guy yeah. that's also been playing well offensively. He's been yeah. doing a lot of double-doubles, too. I mean, a lot of people knock uh, Herb on the offensive end, but he's been playing better of late. He was a good compliment. They had shooters. They've got shooters. I mean, Kyra can shoot the three. Reese can shoot the three. Petty can shoot the three. What he gave them was a downhill guy to the rim that's Mm -hmm. what he had really evolved into and I think even with that you were starting to see more confidence from his perimeter shooting game now it it wasn't great it hasn't been great but that's sort of how it it develops how it evolves for a guy like Herb Jones once he gets ultra confident getting to the rim and and you're pretty much going to let him shoot well then he has more confidence to do that but you know without his downhill ability now uh, teams aren't as worried about running Alabama 
uh, off the three. Now, Kyra, he's still kind of a different dude, but, um, you know, pretty much everybody else, they're, they're going to run Alex Reese off the three-point line. They're going to run John Petty off the three-point line. Uh, Shackelford, you know, th- those are guys that they're, they're now going to make you beat them uh, even more so than, than before uh, getting to the hoop. Now, Charlie, coming up this week, we know it's a big week for recruiting. Not as big as it used to be because we've got the early signing period now, and Alabama did most of its shopping uh, and wrapped that up in uh, December, but some big names still out there. McKinley Jackson, the four-star defensive lineman from Loosedale, Mississippi, expected to make his announcement uh, early to mid-morning on signing day on Wednesday. We'll obviously have that covered for you at BamaOnline.com. The roundtable is where you're going to want to be for that. Alfred Collins, a defensive end prospect from the state of Texas, is supposed to make his decision known later in the day, more like mid to late afternoon, I believe, for Collins. Uh, but what about Nick Saban? What do we know? What his schedule is going to be for signing day in terms of uh, media access, things like that? Yeah, it's pretty much what it usually is every year. Um, you know, Alabama will have their splash page up on RollTide.com, and they'll update that and tweet out um, you know graphics and stuff with the letters of intent roll in. But you know, he's set to talk to us probably about four o'clock. I mean, that's tentative. It could be, you know. 30 minutes, hour early, later. Um, you know, they don't have practice going on or anything like that. So uh, it, it should be a, a set in, t- in stone time, but uh, that'll that'll probably be announced uh, probably later this afternoon or, or maybe even Tuesday. But around about 4 p.m., he'll hold a press conference, and, and that'll be it. Um, because, you know, you and I were talking about it before the podcast. Um, they haven't really made the early enrollees available since the 2017 class. And, you know, that was a, class, a good class to go out, out on. <laughs> they made guys like Tua Tonga-Vailoa, Naji Harris was available. Um, I, I don't remember everybody that was up in that room, but they had a, a slew of players up there, and, and they were good interviews. And then you don't get to talk to them again until the postseason. Uh, and in this year's case, that wasn't even the case in, in Orlando. So, uh, it should just be Saban, and uh, he should put a cap on this recruiting class. He's probably going to have a lot of positive comments. Nobody ever has a bad signing class or anything like that. But um, it should just be an, another opportunity for him to expound on some of the guys we didn't talk about back in December. Uh, that was kind of a shorter press conference, and you know, there's there's a lot of guys that uh, I'd like to see or get his comment on just from his perspective of – you know, them as, as prospects and how they will, you know, translate to the college yeah. game. So, yeah, that should be about 4 p.m. on Wednesday, give or take a 30 minutes or an hour or so. Yeah, you're also going to have the commitments from the early period that didn't sign. Damian George, the offensive tackle from Houston, Texas, North Shore High School. Javon Baker, Jamil Burroughs, a wide receiver and defensive tackle uh, prospects, respectively, uh, from over there in the Peach State. Uh, expected to sign, I guess, on Wednesday. Jason Jones, an in-state commitment. Uh, he's listed now in the 247sports.com database as a soft commitment to Alabama. I saw over the weekend where it looked like Mario Cristobal and Bobby Williams, previously of the Alabama staff, now, of course, Cristobal, the head coach at Oregon, Williams, an assistant coach out there, looked like they were on an in-home visit to check in on Jason Jones here in the last couple of days. So it could be that Jason Jones ends up a duck before this is all said and done. We'll see, but we'll have all that coverage for you at BamaOnline.com. We'll have coverage throughout the week. I mean, we got spring sports, Charlie cranking up. You're going to have Alabama baseball in about, I guess it's, 
11 days we're going to have a season opener at the Joe. I believe it's uh, it is uh, Northeastern that is coming in to kick that season off. You're going to have Alabama softball this weekend coming up down in Tallahassee. So the merging, the merge is officially here, Charlie, of spring and, and winter sports. Alabama gymnastics with a win at LSU over the weekend. Yeah, it's all happening, Charlie. I like this time of year, though, because now that football season is officially over, I know the XFL is starting up, but, you know, we saw the AF win. We'll, we'll wait to give that an opportunity. <laughs> but um, it, it's something to talk about. Uh, I know basketball people, there were, there were a lot of interest in that. I think you know people are disappointed by the Herbert Jones news, but it gives you a chance to kind of devote a little bit more time to basketball, uh, to devote a little bit of time to baseball before spring practice rolls around. So I, I like this time of year. It's kind of a little bit slower pace, but there's a lot of stuff to talk about. So it, it's a fun time of year to. There's to be some with. excitement with Alabama baseball for there a change. Is. Yeah. I know it's kind of people hear that Alabama fans hear that and they go, yeah, yeah, but <laughs> it, it, it seems to be more authentic this time. It's not just that it's the you know spring uh, hope springs eternal type stuff that you typically associate with baseball. There's a feeling that Brad Bohannon may have a little something this year. Not not saying he's going to win an SEC, okay? Uh, but certainly in a 13-team team race for 12 spots in Hoover in the SEC tournament, I think Alabama, I'm going to go ahead, Charlie, go on record. I'm going to go way out on this limb and say that Alabama makes the SEC tournament this year. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think that's too much of a stretch. Um, but I pulled this, a groin doing that split. You know, I pulled a groin. I think. Yeah. I think I, I think I heard it, but it popped. Uh, yeah, <laughs> this is this is a team that Bohannon has been talking highly of, even back yeah. in fall ball. Uh, I think it was during a a hay coach segment with Nick Saban. There's always a you know another sport coach that that goes on the 30 minutes before. Uh, Coach Saban, and um, you know, he talked about how they finally have an SEC roster. So he's been hyping this up. Mm-hmm. He's always kind of been, you know, pumping the brakes on people and saying, you know, wait to year three. We we kind of heard that with with Avery Johnson, but we've seen um, what he's been able to do from a recruiting standpoint. He's really high on a lot of these young guys. I think he's a little concerned with the pitching staff, but um, a young guy like Connor Prelip is yeah. someone that they're really excited about. And you get a guy like Sam Prater back uh, behind the plate. Uh, I think that'll do wonders for this team. But there's a lot of New faces that I think fans will be excited to see. Um, you know, Miles Austin, Owen Diodotti. Um, trying to think just off the top of my yeah, head. DJ Reeves, Reeves back. Yeah. Um, you, you, there's just a lot of youth yeah. in this program that that um, Bohannon First and second year guys. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's going to be young guys, but talented guys that are going to be able to compete with with some of the talent in the SEC. So I think it should be. Yeah, a lot more fun to watch this year. I think some of the second-year guys are JC guys, too. So, you know, there is some maturity to this team. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there's a good enough mix, but I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to Patrick Murphy's softball team, too. I mean, he's loaded, uh, even with, uh, you know, a couple injuries. Claire Jenkins is shortstop that he's had to deal with. Uh, but that when you can pitch it like they're going to be able to pitch it with Montana Fouts at the top of that rotation – he can go three or four deep and feel like he can run just about any one of those out there in any situation, whether it's starting, whether it's relief, whether it's closing, uh, any of that type of stuff. And then to have the speed he's going to have, Murph's going to have at the top, and then to go along with the power and the run production at the Kaylee Towels, the Bailey Hemphills, uh, KB Sides, 
uh, you know, it's it's going to be a fun. I think it has a chance to be a really fun spring in in both softball and baseball. We haven't been able to say that uh, in, in quite a few years now. Well, Charlie, I think we'll get out of here on that note. As always, appreciate you taking the time. No problem, man. It's always good to catch up. There he is, Charlie Potter. This has been BOL Daybreak. Travis Ryer, hoping you have a great rest of your Monday. We'll do it again with Daybreak on Wednesday. Talk to you again then.